if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, the beauty of the gospel is that God has saved us. He's freed us from the power and the penalty of sin. He's put us in Christ, who's now our life. So we've got to together, surrender our lives, say, our lives are yours, and we're your servants. It's not a radical version of Christianity. This is biblical Christianity. It's what it means to be a follower of Christ. We don't call the shots. He calls the shots. The Radical Together Podcast, with teaching from David Platt. Welcome back to another episode of the Radical Together Podcast. If you want to listen to previous episodes, you can always get those on iTunes or online at Radical.net. Now today, David is teaching from Luke chapter 24 in the second of this two-part message entitled, The Reward That's Found in the Word. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, let me invite you to find Luke chapter 24. And much like on our last podcast, we're just going to look at one verse and then from that one verse, think together about what it means specifically when we talked about Matthew 4 verse 4 a couple of weeks ago that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So how do we feast on God's word like it's food every day? And I, I hope that there is, even if altogether new over the last week or two, I hope there is an intentional process through which you are walking to spend time daily in God's Word, whether that's in the morning, in the evening, at some point during the day, that there is regular intake of God's Word, just as regular as breakfast, lunch, or dinner, if not more regular than that, that you are soaking in God's Word. And so then the verse I want us to look at today is Luke chapter 24, verse 27. And I want us to pick up where we left off. We talked about this acrostic reap. So how do we reap the reward that's found in God's word? And we started with R, reading. And then the E stands for examine. And the reason I have us in Luke chapter 24 is because we're about to talk about Bible study and getting into the details of how to understand a passage of scripture. But I want us to realize again that when we come to this book, we're doing more than just gaining information or reading a story like we would read any other book. In Luke chapter 24, verse 27, Jesus, having died on the cross and risen from the dead, is speaking with some disciples on a road to Emmaus. And as he's talking with them, verse 27 says, the beginning with Moses and all the prophets. So he's going back, referencing the Old Testament. He says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So basically, Jesus takes these disciples, these couple guys on the road to Emmaus, and he, he says, you understand this and this and this about the Old Testament? Well, here's how it all points to me. So scripture, it says all the scriptures are pointing to things concerning himself. And so the beauty of Bible reading is that we're not just reading words on a page that tell us a story or give us information. We're reading revelation that informs our understanding of who Jesus is. So as we're examining, studying a passage of Scripture, we're exploring the wonder and the beauty of Christ himself in his word. This is so important. So many so-called Christians today, 
even in our culture and in cultures around the world, but in the culture that I live in in North America, are claiming to be followers of Christ yet ignoring his word or or discrediting or disregarding his word, saying it's outdated or antiquated. And we've fooled ourselves into thinking that we can actually follow Christ apart from reading, believing, and applying his word. And it's not possible that these 66 books in the word of God are all pointing us to him. And the more we read and understand this word, the more we will understand who he is. And the more we apply this word in our lives, the more our lives will look more like Christ. That this whole process of Bible study is not just an intellectual activity. Although it's that, I mean, our minds are engaged, that it's deeper than that. This is a spiritual reality that we are, we are growing in our relationship with Christ himself as we open up this word and we read it and we examine it and we apply it and we pray according to it. So, with that backdrop, Luke 24, verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted him all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Let's think about how do we know Christ more through his word. So read, so say you've read a a passage of scripture or a chapter of scripture. Now, how do you examine? How do you understand what that is? Reap, R-E, so read, examine. And the illustration I I would use here from the very beginning is... Imagine going on a mission trip. And some of you may have been on a mission trip before. If you've not been out of your own context somewhere else in the world for the spread of the gospel, I would encourage you to do that. I know many people listening to this podcast are not just going on mission trips, but are actually living overseas in different places. And so think about going into a different culture. And when you go into a different culture, there's a lot that you have to learn. And so you start looking around and you start observing how do people live in this culture. And that's going to affect the way you live, obviously. So in some, some countries, you'll see people greeting each other by shaking hands. In other countries, you'll see people holding hands very commonly, just as friends. In some countries, they greet each other by kissing each other in this way or that way. Now, It's important to know how to greet people in a culture. So you're observing that. How do you interact? You're learning how they speak. Obviously, you're, to the extent with which you're able, you're learning to speak like them. You're looking at how they eat. So in some places in the world, people eat with their hands. Some places only with their right hand. Some eat with chopsticks. Some eat with forks and knives. Some drink coffee. Some drink this or that. And so there's customs, there's patterns that are going on in the culture with how people are interacting with each other, how they're eating, how they're talking, their words, their tones, all these different things that you see in a culture. And every culture is different. So when we come to a text of scripture, this is part of what we're doing. We we're reading an account, a story that was written in a completely different culture in a completely different time by people that we don't know personally. And so we've got to look and observe and try to understand what's going on here. So we're coming at it from the outside looking in and we've got to ask the question, okay, so what do different things mean? So if I see people holding hands in a particular culture, that could mean a variety of different things. It might be of just a, a, a sign of deep friendship in one culture. It could mean a sign of uh, homosexuality in another culture. 
And that's that's a big difference. So understanding what that means in a culture is very important. So in some cultures, kissing is a sign of greeting, but only among certain people. And then even with those people, you're not sure how many times you're supposed to kiss your cheek, right cheek, left cheek, this and that. Like you've got to observe this. Okay, what does that mean? And you see people eating with their right hand only, not their left hand. Why is that? Oftentimes in a culture, it's because their left hand is unclean. You think about uh, drinking coffee. I think about times I've spent in the Middle East. I remember one time just sitting around with a group of Muslim men, and I don't really like coffee uh, very much at all. And uh, but and they were serving coffee, and of course I wanted to be respectful, and so I I said, okay, I'll drink the coffee, and it was it was strong stuff. And what what they did is they took a little cup. I had a big thing of coffee and then a little cup and we were sitting kind of in a circle around a room and they went from person to person. They gave each person the same cup and they would hand the cup to you and they'd pour some coffee in and then that person would drink it and then they'd pour some more coffee in and that person would drink it and then they'd pass it on. And so it came to me, they hand me this cup that everybody else has been drinking out of and uh, and they pour some coffee in the cup and I, I'm like, okay, here we go. And I start drinking the coffee, didn't really like it that much, and uh, but but drank it to be respectful. And then as soon as I finished it, I, I'm holding it there and I'm thinking it's time to pass to the next person. But then the guy fills up my cup again. And I'm thinking, okay, I'll drink another cup. And so I drink another cup of coffee. And then when I get to the end, I uh, it's all finished and I'm ready to pass it to the next guy. And then the guy who's holding the, the pot fills my little cup up again. I'm thinking, why does it keep filling up my cup? And what I didn't realize is that after you finish, you're supposed to shake the cup and your shaking is a time, is a, is a signal that it's now time to move the coffee cup to another person. And if I'd have known the shaking trick, I'd have done that from the very beginning, but I didn't know that trick. So that's important. Again, these are things that are happening in culture that you, that you may not realize what this or that means. And so when we come to God's word, this this is the way we've got to make sure to approach it with humility, like we're going into another culture and saying, okay, I've got to observe things here. And based on what I observe, I've got to understand what this means or what that means. And then I'll be ready to figure out, okay, how does this affect the way I live? So, so there's a process here that involves study, diligent study. If, if we... Just read a text and then try to go straight to how it applies to our life. We'll never understand the meaning of that text. There's a there's a gold mine in the Word that we need to understand before we move to application. I know I keep emphasizing that over and over again, but it's so important. So we've got to spend time observing, just looking, looking at details, looking at every word and phrase and idea. Again, this takes time. Reading the Bible is not like going through a drive through fast food restaurant. Just try to get in and out as quick as we can. That's not our goal. We've got to be patient with the word. We've got to ponder over it. I think about, think about when my wife and I were dating and she would send me a letter and as she wrote a letter to me, I would just analyze every bit of that letter, especially when early on in our relationship, not a lot of security there. And so she'd write, dear David. And I'd be like, oh, she said, dear. I wonder if she says that to everybody or if she just says that to me. Or she'd use a word here or there. And I'd think, all right, what does she mean by that? Or she'd say, she likes me a lot. Well, does that mean she likes me as a friend or she likes me as more than a friend? Then she says, at the end, she's praying for me. And then I'm thinking, 
Okay, how often do we do we pray? Or or maybe is she praying? Or is she praying for me like she's praying for a future husband? And then she puts a smiley face at the end. And I'm thinking, does she always do that, or is that something special for me? And so, again, it was over the top when it came to uh, uh, a dating relationship. But the whole purpose in Bible studies, we're doing something similar. We want to read and digest and examine just every word and phrase and idea. We want to do our best to get into the shoes of the writer and say, what were they saying? And the reader, the first people who are reading this, the people in the text, we want to see the sights there and smell the smells and experience the emotions, which means when it comes to this examine part of reading the Bible, we're just going to bombard the Bible with questions. David will be back to finish his message in just a moment, but we'd like to take this opportunity and invite you to be a part of an event we call Secret Church. Now, Secret Church is an evening of intense Bible study and prayer for the persecuted church based on time David spent teaching in underground house churches in Asia. This year, David will be teaching on a topic entitled Christ, Culture, and a Call to Action. Now, in David's newest book, Counterculture, he addresses some of the most pressing issues of our day like poverty, same-sex marriage, racism, abortion, and pornography. And at Secret Church, we're going to dive deeper into the Word of God concerning these issues in our culture. David will help us answer the question, how does God's Word affect how we live and respond as individuals and as the church? We want to invite you to join tens of thousands of other believers from around the world for Secret Church on Friday, April 24th. To find out more or to register for the Secret Church simulcast, visit secretchurch.org. Here's David with the rest of today's message. The Bible's never embarrassed to be asked questions. It may not answer all the questions we've got. We've got to ask to see which ones are important and which texts. So just think about who, what, when, where, why. Like, who? So start with there. Who wrote this book? Who wrote this? And obviously the Holy Spirit inspired scripture. But take a specific Bible book, like Luke, for example, here. Okay, who is Luke? Why is he writing in this way? Who was originally reading this particular part of the Bible? Who were the main characters in it? So we're asking who questions. Who wrote this? Who was reading it? And this has huge implications for how we understand a passage. When you read, for example, Ephesians chapter 1 and baffling, mind-boggling truths about election and predestination and adoption and some of the some of the verses and words, theological terms that confuse so many people and and cause all kinds of debates and dialogue among Christians. Well, we've got to make sure that we're understanding a passage like that in terms of who wrote it and who's originally reading it. Because you realize that when Paul writes this letter to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1, He's writing to a church where there was tension between Jews and Gentiles. And Gentiles were being made to feel like they were second-class Christians in the kingdom of God. And so from the very beginning, what Paul does is he starts using language that was very reminiscent of, of election language that was used in the Old Testament to refer to the people of Israel. And then you'll notice in that first chapter, right around verse 10 or 11, there's a major shift when Paul's writing. He's talking about uh, we have been adopted, we've been predestined in all these different ways. And then he says, and you also 
are a part of this picture. And he changes that personal pronoun from we to you, basically to say, Gentiles, you're in this picture too. You're loved by God. You're adopted by God. And it's this picture of Paul from the very beginning building unity in the church at Ephesus. And if we don't just ask the question, who who wrote this and who's originally reading it, we'll miss out on the beauty of what's happening there. So ask, ask the question, who? Ask what? So what is happening in this text? Or if you're reading a story, okay, what's the problem in the story? What is the author saying? So just, and again, I encourage you in that last podcast to write down things that you're reflecting on as you're reading God's word. And so to spend time just thinking through, again, it could be simple things. What's happening here? What's the main point? What's the author saying? What's What's happening in the story? What's the truth that's being communicated? So who is saying it? Who is he saying it to? Who are the main characters in the story? What? What's happening in the text? What's wrong in the text that needs it's obviously being addressed? What's the main point? So who, what, where? So where is the writer? Where are the original readers? Where is the text taking place? Especially in a, in a book like Luke, as you see Jesus traveling to different places, just to think through what's happening in different places. Where? When? When was this written? When did these events take place? To realize Luke chapter 24, this is after Jesus has risen from the dead and he's walking with some guys who don't recognize who he is. And as we find out later, they'll realize who they've been talking to once he's done this, shown them in the scriptures, all these things concerning himself. So who, what, where, when, why? Why is the author writing this? Why Why is this included in scripture, do you think? To spend some time reflecting on that. Or why did these events that happened the way they did? Why did the author say what he said? Why did he say it that way? And so in all of this, we're, we're examining the text. We're looking and listening. Looking at details, listening for small things here or there that will help us to understand what's going on. So just just to ask, are there any words or phrases or ideas that seem particularly important? And so to spend time, just, again, I would encourage you, just write down some simple things that you observe in the text. Much like you would, you would look to observe in another culture, what are you observing in this text? So that's observation. And then that observation then sets the stage. There's so much more we could talk about there, but but just to connect it now, observation sets the stage for interpretation. So observation, think the question is, what is this text saying? Interpretation, now what does this text mean? Again, not what does it mean to you or what does it mean to me, but what does this text mean to all people of all time? So what is the timeless truth that is found in this text that applies to all people of all time? And the best way I have found to do this, this process of interpretation, moving from all right, what, was, what was God saying to those people at that time to what is God saying to all people of all time, the, the best way I know to think through that question about timeless truth in a passage of scripture is to ask some basic gospel questions of every single text. And here's what I mean by that. When you think about the gospel, so the content of the gospel, there's a just and gracious God over the universe who has looked upon hopelessly sinful men and women and he has sent his son, God in the flesh, to bear his wrath against sin on the cross and to show his power over sin and the resurrection so that 
anyone, anywhere who turns from their sin in themselves and trusts in Jesus as Savior and Lord will be reconciled to God forever. So this gospel truth, overarching, contains within it fundamental truths about who God is and who we are and who Christ is and why we need him and what it means to trust and follow God in Christ and why this matters forever. So these are five questions that I would just encourage you to ask based on the gospel when it comes to every passage of scripture that you read. And this will help, I think, bridge from examination and observation to interpretation. So what is the text? What's happening in this text? Okay, what does this mean for all people of all time? Ask these five questions. First, ask what does this text teach about God? So what does God reveal about his character in this text? All of scripture is the revelation of God. It's his word, his revelation of himself to us. And so I'm reading this morning in Romans chapter 11, and I'm seeing the kindness and severity of God, the judgment and the grace and the mercy of God. And I'm seeing these these characteristics intertwined in who he is. And so I'm writing down, here's what I'm learning about God in Romans chapter 11. Same thing in Job chapter 8. So thinking through, what does this text teach about God? Second, what does this text teach about man? So what does this text teach about us, about the human heart, about the human condition? As I'm reading Job, I'm thinking about how how suffering is a reality in this sinful world. And I'm, I'm seeing the wrestling in Job and I'm seeing tendencies in him and in his friends that reveal much about the hearts of men. And so I'm writing down observations. Same thing in Romans chapter 11 as I was reading about Israel's unbelief and their tendency, their, their tendency to harden their hearts toward God. And I'm thinking about that tendency that's in all of our hearts, my own included. And, and so I'm writing down, okay, what is this text teaching about man, about all people of all time, not just Job in that time or his friends in that time, not just the people of Israel in, uh, that are being talked about in, in Romans chapter 11 and the Gentiles as well, but all people of all time. So what does this text teach about God? What does this text teach about man? Third, what does this text, this passage, this chapter teach about who Jesus is? And why we need him. Again, that's why I wanted to be in Luke 24, 27 for this podcast. To be reminded throughout that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, all the scriptures are pointing to Christ. And so, is there anything in this passage that helps us understand more about who Jesus is and why we need him? As I'm reading Job, I'm reminded that I don't have a, we don't have a God who is far from us when it comes to a world of suffering. He is with us. He came to be with us. He suffered on our behalf. This is the beauty of God in the flesh, Christ in a sinful world, suffering for sinners. And so I'm learning more about who Christ is, even in Job and, and of course in Romans chapter 11, the salvation that are found and the mercy that's found in Christ, why we need him, where would we be without Christ? And so I'm asking, okay, who is Jesus? Why do we need Jesus? What is the text teaching me about Jesus? So that's the third question. Fourth question, what does this text teach you, this passage or chapter teach you about trusting and following God in Christ. So what is it what is this text teaching about what it means to have faith 
in the middle of suffering. Those are the things I'm thinking about in Job. In Romans chapter 11, as I'm seeing this unbelief and pride and hardness of heart. So what is this teaching about what it means to believe in God, to trust God, to follow him? So for all people of all time, what does this text teach about trusting and following God in Christ? And then ultimately, the last question I would encourage you to ask is, what does this passage teach you about the urgency of eternity, about the hope of heaven and the horror of hell? I think it's good to take time when we're reading the Bible to lift our eyes to an eternal perspective and to ask, what is, how does this text help me think eternally about my life? When I'm reading Job, oh, and I know where the end of the story is coming in Job 42, but that's, that's helpful. In Job 8, in the middle of his wrestling and his struggling, he's been surrounded by friends who are just beating him down to be reminded that suffering in this world ultimately is temporary for the believer that there's coming everlasting life and how that changes your perspective on suffering in the moment or i'm reading in romans chapter 11 about the picture of of the eternal ramifications of hardening your heart toward god or believing in god and so ask the question what does this passage teach about the hope of heaven and the horror of hell about the urgency of eternity so as you ask those questions write down your answers it's not that every single one of those questions is specifically addressed in this way or that way in every passage of scripture but it's i think it's a helpful exercise when you're reading a passage of scripture you're examining it, okay, what's happening in this text? What what really, what words, phrases seem to stick out as, as important? How are they, why is the author writing it this way? And then to ask the question, okay, what does this text teach me about God, number one? Number two, about ourselves? Number three, what does this text teach about who Jesus is and why we need him? Number four, what does this text teach about what it means to trust and follow God in Christ? And then what does this text teach about the urgency of eternity, about the hope of heaven or the horror of hell so that's examine that's how we examine the text so read and then examine and then now we're ready to a to apply again what we've got to be careful to do is not just to read and apply there's this examine part that's so important in the middle but once we've examined the text and we've seen what this text is saying to all people of all time now we're ready to say all right now what how does this text apply to my life at this time and so we ask questions like, well, what, what sin or sins do I need to repent of or avoid as a result of reading this? So as, as we read the word, God exposes areas of our lives that don't align with the word. And so the word leads us to repentance. And this is where, again, now we're moving into application where we realize this Bible study is, is indeed, it's not just for information. It's for transformation of my life that, that the Spirit of God uses reading this passage and understanding it to convict me of sin in my heart and to cause me to repent, to turn from that sin. So to ask the question, is there anything I need to turn from in my own life Tendencies that I have toward unbelief in this way or that way, I'm thinking about in Romans chapter 11 this morning. So what, what sins do I need to repent of and or avoid or, 
Or ask, well, what truths do I need to believe that I need to remember, that I need to be reminded of based on this passage? Or maybe to believe for the first time that I've not realized. What truths do I need to believe? What commands do I need to obey? So if there's, is there something in this text that's telling me I need to, I need to give up this or that in my life? Or I need to stop doing this or that in my life? Or I need to start doing this or that in my life? Or maybe I need to continue doing. So, what commands do I need to obey? We don't just want to hear the word and deceive ourselves, James says. We want to do what it says. We want to do what it says. And so make sure when we go to the word, we're thinking through, what do I need to do as a result of this? What do I need to give up? Stop doing, start doing, continue doing. Maybe what principles need to change the way that I think or the way I talk or the way I act? And how, how am I going to implement that change? So now we're thinking through practically what in my life needs to change the way I need to, the way I'm thinking about this or that? Does that need to be affected by this text? The way I, I talk in this way or that way? The way I'm acting? How, how do I need to change? And God, by your grace, help me to change in this way and that way according to your word. Maybe what relationships do you need to, to, to act on, establish, strengthen, change. What do you need to do in your relationship with your wife or your husband as a result of reading this? What do you need to do with your rela- in your relationship with your kids as a result of reading this? Is re- in a relationship with your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors, is there anything in your relationships that need to be a- needs to be affected by what you've read in the Word? So in all these different questions, just asking different questions. Asking, okay, what does this text mean to all people of all time? Now, how does this text apply to my life at this time? Are there sins I need to repent of or avoid? Are there truths? that I need to believe? Are there commands that I need to obey? Are there principles that need to change the way I think or talk or act? What, what needs to change in my relationships? So in all this we're asking, by the power of God's Spirit, what can I do today to apply God's Word to my life? That's what we're asking. By the power of God's Spirit, what can I do today to apply God's Word to my life? And in that question, automatically leads us to the end of this acrostic, P, for pray. This is where we realize that prayer and Bible reading indeed go hand in hand. Because as we read the Bible, we're we're learning about who God is, who Christ is, learning about ourselves, learning about what it means to follow Him. We're thinking about areas of our life where we're prone not to follow Him. We're praying in repentance. We're praying in confession. We're praying for strength and power to put this Word into practice in our lives. And prayer and Bible reading are, are intertwining together in communion with God. Praying to him, hearing from him, and this back and forth interplay of intimacy with the God of the universe. And we can't do that while ignoring his word. We need to read it, to examine it, apply it, and that will lead us to pray according to it. So what I want to do, uh, we've gone over time for this podcast, but uh, when we come to the next podcast, I want to I want to walk through a passage using reap, basically as an example of saying, here's how this treasure, this spoil that's found in God's word can be discovered over and over and over again on a daily basis, and not just treasure in the word discovered, but treasure in Christ. Because all of these scriptures 
are revealing Christ to our eyes and our hearts in a way that we are intended to grow in love for him and intimacy with him. So God, may it be so. As we read your word, help us to examine it rightly and then apply it appropriately, O God, by your spirit to our hearts that we might love you more and that we might look more like Christ as a result of our time in this treasure that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to you. And if you'd like more information on David's latest book, Counterculture, visit counterculturebook.com. Additional resources from David's ministry can be found at Radical.net. There you can find sermons, secret church resources, and more. And if you'd like to learn more about the International Mission Board, you can do that by visiting imb.org. As always, we're glad you tuned in. Join us next time for more teaching from David right here on the Radical Together podcast.